When we first think of Halloween night, we think of trick-or-treating, dressing up in costumes, and having an enjoyable time carving pumpkins and eating candy with the family. However, there are people out there who are hurt during these times by evil people, and here are their stories. The Lisk Family Murders in the year 2010, Halloween happened to fall on a Sunday. 16-year-old Devin Griffin, just like every single Sunday, he woke up early to get ready to head to church. That weekend, he was staying at his father's home, and just before church around 9.30am, he decided to stop by his mother's home to grab another shirt, so he had a spare to change into. When he went inside, the first thing he saw was his stepbrother BJ greeting him in an odd, happy mood, which was again, very odd. You see, BJ and Devin did not get along. In fact, they didn't even like to talk to each other. BJ then asked him how long he'd be gone. Devin responded. After church, Devin was dropped off at home and played video games for a good while. At this time, BJ was nowhere to be found and the house was quiet, almost too quiet. So with the eerie sound of complete silence, Devin thought that he'd wake everyone up since it was already 1.30 p.m. at that point. He raced towards the master bedroom where he saw his mother and stepdad still in bed underneath their blankets. Devin began talking, hoping to wake his parents up, but when he didn't get a response, he pulled down the cover to reveal the horror. He found his parents dead and unfortunately, so was his other brother. The 24-year-old BJ Lisk shot his own father five times in the head turned a gun and killed his stepmom before using a claw hammer to bludgeon his brother to death. Devin's brother BJ was later found by the authorities, hidden inside their family cabin. He was sentenced to life in prison. The Murder of Lisa Ann French Halloween night back in 1973, 9-year-old Lisa Ann French dressed as a little homeless man went trick-or-treating at around 6 p.m. One of her stops was at the home of Gerald Turner and Arlene Penn. The little girl arrived at the front of the home, but instead of knocking, the door was left wide open. She called out, trick-or-treat, but nothing. Suddenly, she was grabbed. Gerald Turner and his living girlfriend, Arlene Penn, made plans to have dinner at her mother's home that night. However, after Arlene arrived at her home after work at 7 p.m., Gerald suddenly stopped her right at their doorstep and encouraged Arlene to go to dinner without him. Arlene did not think twice and went on her way to her mother's home. But suddenly, before going too far, she realized that her mother was not going to be home for over an hour if she kept driving. Arlene decided to go back home to Gerald, spent an hour with him in a downstairs living room before going back out an hour later. After dinner, Arlene arrived back home at 11 p.m. At the time, Gerald was still awake and that the blankets that was supposed to be made on their bed was somehow laying on the ground, bunched up in the laundry room. Arlene once again disregarded it and went to sleep. Unfortunately, what Arlene did not know was that in that same bed she was sleeping in, her boyfriend Gerald forced 9-year-old Lisa into the bedroom, ripped all of her clothes off and raped her. Afterwards, he strangled her to death, stuffed the child's nude body in two black garbage bags, packed her clothes away, and left it all on a farmer's property. Luckily, within four days of the search involving more than 1,500 volunteers, the farmer found the little girl and called the cops. In the investigation, Gerald failed a lie detector test, eventually confessed, and drew a diagram of where he left the body. He was sentenced to 38 and a half years. The Murder of Taylor Van Dyst Dressed as a zombie, 18-year-old student Taylor Van Dyst planned on spending her Halloween trick-or-treating with her friends. 
Unfortunately, she left home at 6pm but she never showed up. However, just before going missing, she was texting her friend back and forth, mentioned about someone following her that night. It was the last time her friend talked to her. Just hours later, the 18-year-old girl was found beside a railroad track with her head bleeding and bruises around her neck. She eventually died in the hospital. The police, after intense interrogation, arrested Matthew Forrester, who confessed as he burst into tears. The motive, according to the report, was sex. Matthew said that sex was all he wanted. So he followed her into a quiet and secluded part of town to attack her. Taylor immediately resisted and screamed. Therefore, Matthew pushed her to the ground as hard as he can while grabbing her neck. He then bludgeoned her with a flashlight and hit her head down on a metal pipe. After it all, Matthew left Taylor in the dirt and the coward fled only to be brought back in tears. Matthew was convicted and received a life sentence. The Murder of Peter Fabiano on the 31st of October 1957, Peter and Betty Fabiano were getting ready to sleep for the night. Then suddenly, at around 11pm, they heard the doorbell ring. Peter thought that it was too late for trick-or-treaters, but he thought to himself, Hey, it's Halloween, why not? Peter grabbed a bowl of candy and opened the door. Before him was not a kid, it was a woman, dressed in jeans, wearing a mask, and pointing at him was a brown paper bag, and one can only assume that beneath the paper bag was a gun. Upstairs, Betty was startled at the loud bang, screeching tires, as she ran downstairs to find her husband struggling to breathe laying on the floor. Peter gasped for air and bled profusely on the way to the hospital, and eventually succumbed to his injuries before reaching the destination. The authorities were baffled. Peter worked as a hairdresser. It wasn't a very dangerous job, and certainly brought no enemies except for a few unhappy clients, but not one that would go as far as killing him. As they widened the investigation, a picture was slowly being painted. Just two weeks after the murder of Peter, authorities brought Joan Rebel in for questioning, who was a 40-year-old woman who randomly lied to the police about her whereabouts on the night of the murder. Unfortunately, despite the obvious suspicious activities, they had to let her go due to the lack of evidence. Then, just a month later, a tip came in that directed the authorities to a locker that was rented in a local department store. Inside it was damning. They found the 38 caliber revolver that matched the exact bullet that was lodged right under Peter's heart. It belonged to a children's hospital worker named Goldine Pizer. She had zero connections to Peter Fabiano, but the police went on to interrogate. Suddenly, she began to confess. It turned out that Goldine and Joan were in a sexual relationship and for the duration of months, Joan told Goldine a tale of a man named Peter who Joan described as pure evil. Joan went on to tell false horror stories of Peter which were simply not true. The stories were about severe abuse dealt on Betty, his wife, and it did not take long for Goldine to hate this made-up man that Joan claimed to be Peter. The two, Joan and Goldine, decided to kill Peter. With Joan's money, Goldine bought the gun, drove to the home to commit the unthinkable act. Though it seemed completely random, it truly wasn't. There was a motive. It turned out that Joan was sleeping with Peter's wife and wanted Betty all to herself. Both Goldine and Joan were sentenced to life. The Martha Moxley Murder A city in Connecticut called Greenwich is one of the wealthiest and most successful areas in the United States. It is marked as the town where Bush Sr. grew up as a child, as well as more than a dozen U.S. Senators who were raised there as well and are currently raising their own kids. However, there was a time where the safe neighborhood suddenly turned sinister. Back in 1975, 
Intertwined within the sprawling estates, perfected lawns, and extravagant mansions was the body of a young girl named Martha Moxley. That cold Halloween morning, they found the 15-year-old soaked in her own blood. The discovery and identification of the child shook the wealthy town of Greenwich. When the autopsy came back, they discovered that she had been brutally beaten with a golf club. In fact, she was severely hit so hard that the club that was used shattered into a bunch of little pieces. The teen was then stabbed in her neck with one of the broken pieces from the shattered club. The killer then decided to drag her 80 feet and laid her in her own backyard. All of a sudden, everyone turned to the nephew of Senator Robert F. Kennedy, 17-year-old Tommy Skackle. It was known to everyone who was friends with them that Martha was spending the night before Halloween with her friends, and the last stop of their night was at a party at Tommy's house. But later in the evening, Tommy brought Martha with him and left late at night. Unfortunately, Martha never made it back home, despite the fact that her house was only less than a fifth of a mile away. The authorities had their primary suspect and had enough evidence to move forward, but ultimately were unsure. The case was left cold for 16 years until 1991. The investigation was renewed, bringing it back to the public eye. It was not until 1998, 23 years after Martha's murder, that the killer was named. It was Michael Skackle, Tommy's brother. According to reports, Michael had always been somewhat obsessed with Martha, even going as far as climbing a tree outside the teen's window to masturbate. In 2002, Michael Skackle was finally convicted, but unfortunately, he was also granted an appeal in 2013 and was released from prison. Hey everyone, thank you again for watching. I hope everybody had a fun and safe Halloween. As usual, please like, comment, and subscribe, and stay tuned for our next video.